Was that good or what? Yeah. Always good, man. Always good. So my name is Chris, and man, it's, it's my honor to be with you guys this morning, just kind of walking you through um, Ephesians 1 as best as I understand it, all right? So like, here's what I know, is that I know that this stuff is so deep that you can drown in it. I know it's so shallow sometimes that, that infants can walk in it, all right? And so I'm just going to ask you just to join with me as I ask the Lord, man, just to, to, to watch over the words that are spoken that they not be ignorant or stupid, and they're not of Chris, if that's cool with you guys. And so, Jesus, man, I'm just being reminded that all things are for your glory. And so, Father, I would ask that I don't say anything dumb today. I would ask that you protect my mouth. And I would ask, Lord, that you're honored. Lord, I would hope and ask that our affections would be turned towards you. That we would understand the hope to which we have been called. That our eyes would be opened to understand your character. That, Lord, we would not profane your name by making you up as who we want you to be. For you gave us your scriptures, and they cannot say what they've never said. So, Jesus, you are holy. You have made us that way. Please be honored in this time together. And everyone said, Amen. So Matt talked about this prayer last week that, that he wrote in Ephesians. It starts in 15. I'm just going to read it to you. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now that starts off with the word for, all right? Anytime that you see that, he's finishing the statement. He's just finishing the story here, right? He's saying because of everything that I just said, here's what my hope is, all right? Now understand this, like Paul's writing this from Ephesians. Now, I have watched, I mean, Paul's writing this from prison, okay? And so he's not writing this from Ephesians, he's in prison while he's writing this. But here's what, here's what I've watched. Like, in my, in my growing up in the church, like, there was a time when the, the first church, my home church, the pastor left. He was called to, to another place to start another church. And so they sent out resumes and they brought this new guy in. And I'm an infant in my belief. I'm just, I'm just an infant, and I'm sitting there, and the crowd's about this size, and they ask him about predestination. And he gives this spiel about predestination. I'm like, I don't even know what predestination means. And half of the crowd gets up and starts cheering for it. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? And it would take about six months for that guy to split the church. All right? It's a picture of two things, immaturity in the church and the fact the church wasn't discipling people, so we had to go outside of the church to bring somebody in. And so let me just kind of lean on you. Ephesians 1 has been used to split churches. 
But I will tell you this, it's because we don't understand it. Like we don't take the time to, to really read through Ephesians 1. And what we do with the gospel, man, becomes very dangerous. And so what I'm going to lean on you today is I'm going to lean on you and say, do not look at Ephesians 1 through your lens because you didn't write it. Like never do we look at a book that another author wrote and look at it through our lens. We've got to look at it through the lens of who wrote it, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures God breathed, meaning he wrote every word of it. Inspired word through the hands of men. And so we buy into that. I'm not, I'm not going to travel down that path today because it's not the topic of the conversation. But I want to lean into this idea. It's like, you've got to move yourself out of this conversation. If you read Ephesians 1 and it's all about you, guess what? You've missed it. It's the same thing of time saying that all the gospel is, is good in John 3.16 when the book is much thicker than one verse. Right? And so today I'm going to ask you, remove your lens that you did not write this book. All right? Step out of it. Because it will hurt you in the end, and you will miss the forest for the trees. Okay? And so we're just going to pause. We're going to start walking through this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, be the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from whom God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First step. Paul's writing this to believers. Okay? This book is written to believers, people who have openly professed the name of Jesus. All right? The book is divided in, in half. The first three are doctrine. Like you don't, get to, you don't get to say anything other than what it says. The next three are how you live it out. All right? And so it's why we've decided to walk this out this long. Understanding the doctrine. This is why Paul says, I want you to understand the character of who God is. All right? Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through sins. His blood... The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which effect which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So here's here's the thing. We're going to walk through this verse by verse, but understand this. The Lord is for you. Like there's no doubt. John 3.16 is all for you. It is all about you. It's the purpose and the mission of God. But here's what I would say to you. That is when you, if you hear this all the time. Like this is all you hear from the stage. The gospel then becomes about you. And when the gospel becomes about you. You are on dangerous ground. Because there is a whole underflow. and undertonement that God is for himself. I know you may have not heard that before, but God is for his name. God is for his glory. The reason he has called you is for that, for his name, for his renown, for his glory. It's why you can't take John 3.16 and say this is all the gospel is. And so I'm just going to, I want to unpack that for you because if you don't understand that, you will not understand Ephesians 1, 2, or 3. And so I'm just going to kind of walk you through a couple things just to kind of build this case, Right? 
Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, it says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I'll restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? For I will not give my glory to another. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Psalms 106, 7 and 8. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. Romans 9, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Ezekiel 20, I acted for the sake of my name. And it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. First Samuel, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Ezekiel 36, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. John 12, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven and he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Psalms 23, we're all familiar with this one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We could preach on that forever. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Why? For his name's sake. The Lord is for the Lord. That's why when you read Ephesians 1, it says in just the first six, three verses, it says he is, his name is announced 11 times in just the first three verses. And so we're just going to kind of walk through this, okay? Because it can be very dangerous, right? Like you've got to look through this lens to understand the rest of the Gospels. And so we're going to start in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul's sitting in prison. He's using this word praise, which is only used for God, right? And he says, Thank God. That he has blessed us, not just me, but us in the spiritual realm with all the heavenly blessings. What's he saying? He's saying, I've got nothing, but yet I have everything. This is how it translates to us like we're three weeks out from Christmas. And we we build this thing up in, in the world of going, hey, man, look what we're fixing to get for Christmas. Look at this. Listen, all that stuff. Do you still use it? Everything that you own, everything. Your house, your car, your clothes, you can't take them with you. The majority of them will end up in a yard cellar in the trash, right? And so Paul understands this. Like it's something for us that we got to keep walking into. It's like, do you really need another pair of shoes while people starve? Like that's why he's saying, he's like, like listen, he said, like, praise God at this moment that I have nothing. Yet everything that I do have that never will waste away, the Lord has given me. He's fixing to unpack all of that for us. I'm, I'm going to kind of just walk us through it. But he understands this hope 
Like he has this, un, this unparalleled hope of who he is and what he's got. And we track down just a little bit further and it says, verse 4, he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. For he chose us in him, meaning Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So just sit in this for a minute. Before the creation of the world, he says he knows your name. Before he ever formed the earth, he knew your name. Before he ever made Adam and Eve, he knew your name. Before he split the waters from the water, he knew your name. Before the fish of the sea were beginning to swim, he knew your name. Like you can get, you can get crazy with this. He's saying, listen, he knew you. And he chose you before he ever started building the earth to be holy and blameless in his sight. Not in your sight, but in his. Like before the animals ever came, he knew you. And Paul's like, man, I get this. I get this. Next verse, in love. He predestined us for adoption. Now, let me just kind of translate that word for you. Predestined means foreknew. In love. That word translated as agape love. It means sacrificially. Sacrificially. He foreknew us. Put your name in that spot. For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure, in accordance with his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What's he saying? Let me just kind of show you how this plays out in real life. All right? You guys, a lot of you know my story. When I, was, I went to college at the age of 17, just because I have a late birthday, was a pre-med guy. First semester, I decided to pledge. GPA went down. Decided I can't, hey, I'm done with this. All right? Still enjoy the party, so I'm just going to kind of float around, make sure I make good enough grades to get somewhere. So I'm tracking down this path. I'm at a party one night. I meet this guy named Jason Hurst. Didn't know him, but I really liked him. We hung out that night. We always partied on Thursday at UCA in Conway. Got up the next morning, went to class, because I was always, I was always, I was like, I'll party all night. I'll still make it to class. I may not listen, but I'll be there. Made him feel like I was doing something. So I run into this guy on Friday morning. Hadn't seen him before, just happened to have this chance encounter with him. I said, hey, so how you doing? He said, I'm fine, man, how are you? He said, well, I went to this job fair. He goes, they gave me this, this brochure on nuclear medicine. Do you want it? I said, sure, I'll take it. Last time I ever saw him. Well, I didn't have any direction I was going, so I was like, man, this sounds like something good to tell people at a party. So you know what I did? I walked straight over to the registrar's office and declared nuclear medicine as a major. Like, this is how ignorant I am, all right? Go ahead and laugh because it's really ignorant. So I track down this path. I, sub- I submit all my papers. They send me a letter in the mail saying, hey, you got an you um, interview here. And so I'm like, sweet, I'll, let me, let me, I'll, I'll come to the interview. So I showed up. Now, this is in 95, so kids, there's no internet running at this time, right? I could have went to the library to do some research, but I, I didn't, right? Again, out of my ignorance. And so I show up for this interview, and this girl who's a year ahead of me comes out, and she goes, hey, are you here for the nuclear medicine interview? I said, sure. She goes, you know what it is? I said, no. She said, well, sit down and let me tell you. And so I sat and talked with her for like 45 minutes. And then so then 
I go into the interview and guess what? I just repeat everything she just tells me. They send me a letter and say, hey, congratulations, you got in. I'm like, awesome, man. Let me just try down this path, all right? Like, I'm ignorant, right? This is who Chris is. So I go to the school, graduate. There's no jobs in Arkansas, right? There's no jobs in my hometown, Conway. Now, Conway, if you're familiar with Conway, which I know you're not, but there's some guys from Conway who are here. But Conway, like, there's a strong Catholic community there. It's very strong. And it's decade or generation upon generation of family. Like, when I went home for Christmas this past year, guess what? Those generational families all came over to the house. And we hung out. Like, it's, it's crazy. The community is so strong. You want to build a house? 15 people will show up to help you build it. Jesus is very low there. Community is very strong. But I vowed not to be a guy who would, who would um, get a degree and not use it. And so I left, right? Got hired in northeast Arkansas, moved away. Had no debt. Mom and dad really did, did well with me there. So I was, I was debt-free, making more money than I ever made in my life. And it took about a year for all of it to wear off. Like on my checklist of stuff to do, new house, new car, best lawn in the neighborhood, checking it off, checking it off. I've got it all, so why am I so empty inside? Like why am I dying? No answers. So I turn to what everybody else turns for. You, you find you something that eases the pain. Sports, mine was alcohol, so I turned down that path. And I walked down that path for a good, for a good season until one day, when everything was going wrong. Like, alcohol didn't help me. It made me worse. Like, I, instead of loving people, I began to hate people because I hated myself. And so in this moment, October 24th, 99, I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with me? It would be in this moment that I would cry out to Jesus because it was all I knew to do. Nobody walking with me, but I cried out. I professed his name as Lord because I was sick of me. And so the next 10 years, man, I would just begin to track with him. I would begin to understand what it was like to follow him. I would understand what it's like to love my wife and and to love my kids and to to walk away from this path that I'd known for so long and to follow this new world. And so in that story, I would end up in, in Kansas City preaching the gospel. For what? His glory. Like, do you see that? All for a chance encounter with one guy named Jason Hurst that I met one time. My story is not different than yours. There is no difference between us. We are both a holy priesthood and a royal nation. This is how this works, and this is why the verse says, in love, in sacrificial love of what Christ did, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will for the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. It's called the gospel in real time. And your story is just like mine. You can pinpoint back, how did I even get here at this point? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. All right? So in him we have redemption through his son. Lean into this for a second. It doesn't say in his miracles that you and I have redemption through his blood. It does not say in his perfect life that we have redemption through his blood. It says in his blood. It's the same story that Jesus was talking about when he said, is there any other way to make this thing happen? If there's a a way, Father, make this thing happen, 
but I will do whatever it is for your glory. It's the same reason that the Hebrew writer in verse 5 says, listen, Jesus was not spared the rod of suffering, but the rod of suffering was used on Christ to bring him to perfection. But here's the deal. Christ was already perfect. So why did he have to have the rod of suffering brought on him to bring him to perfection? The only reason that the Lord had to have the rod of suffering brought on him to bring him to perfection was to bring him to perfection so that in his blood that you and I Are you tracking with this? Like he takes you back to verse 3 and he says, so that you will be holy and blameless in his sight. It's the New Testament word for perfect and immaculate that they used in the Old Testament when they brought those animals to to the temple to sacrifice. It says, in him. Like in him, because of Christ, you have this. You have redemption for your sins. You know who you've been chosen to be. Like that's what he's saying to us here. This is like rooted in him. And so it travels down just a little bit further and it says this, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Read it again. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things. What's he saying to us? He's saying, listen, all of us in this room know Christ as Savior. Like that's how we know him. Like we have no problems bending our knee or I should hope, right? Like at some level, we made this profession that Jesus is Lord of us. And it says like in this moment, like the world knows him this way. He said, but one day the world will know him as judge as well. And when they do, it says that all things in heaven and on earth will come into unity and that Christ has been given authority over all things. He's also taking you back again to Hebrews 10 where he's like, the Lord's going to shake everything and anything that can fall will fall. But anything that stays remains, man, he'll call home. And like, this is that hope that lives in you. And he's like, so there will come a time where those of us who call him Savior will see him as judge. And it's why creation says, listen, we all moan for this. Like for those of us who are in the room, like we want this to happen. Like there was a time in my life from 07 to 2010 where me and my wife got broke. Like we got broke. And it was all because of sin. And one night, man, we're working this out. And I'm holding her. Like we're just laying in the bed and I'm holding her. And she's crying so hard that her body's shaking. And this is what she says. She says, I just wish Jesus would come back and get me. And under my breath, I said, me too. You know why? Because no one robs you of this hope. Like the story's already done. Like the reason they're using a jigsaw for Ephesians is because the story outline is already complete. The only thing that changes now is the puzzle pieces that go in. And it's like, it's you fit somewhere. Like everyone in this room fits somewhere. That's why Jesus says, come put my yoke on. It's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. It means it fits. Like you fit somewhere in this kingdom. Like the story's already done. Like it's going to play out. It's like you fit into this. Like this is what happens. It's like all creation moans. And I'm telling you, we do too. Like we do too, as much as this is awesome. Like sometimes we still walk with a limp, right? Like we shouldn't. Atheists will use this 
They'll use this verse and say, listen, if Christ really did all this, why did he pour it out on such stupid people? And man, I'm the first one to say, you know what? I'm one of those stupid people. And I become stupid when I do exactly what Romans tells me not to do. When I take my eye off of the creator and start worshiping created things. We're all guilty of that. It's like, listen, we're no different, man. When your eye starts worshiping the created things instead of the creator, man, you have exchanged the truth for a lie. And the atheist looks at us and says, you're stupid because God gave you all this. Even they know. Even they know. This is the hope that Paul has. He's like, listen, I know that I act silly, but nobody robs me of this. No one robs me of this. 11, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, right? So he's just reiterating everything he just said. He's like, it's all his will, it's all his pleasure, it's all his purpose, it's already his plan. And he says, all this has happened because he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order, right? So that because we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now, I want us to pause on this one for a little bit, okay? The reason he has called your name, the reason he knows you before the foundations of the earth were laid, the reason he has, he has paid the price for you with Jesus, the reason he has done all of these things is so that you might exist for the glory of his praise. Right? Are you tracking with this? Like all of this hope that you have in you, all these things that no one can touch you, it exists for the glory of his praise. And what he's saying is, he's like, he's like it's not that you get to, it's that you might, which is a picture that the church isn't. Right? Like there's like, Here's what he's saying to us. He's like, listen, if you don't mature in this and the gospel does become about you, you will not exist for the glory of his praise because you're always living for the glory of yours. But his hope is, is that we would mature up. Like we would step into painful things in our life and say, listen, I know this is not right. And God's word says this about it. Will I be brave? Will I be bold? Will I be obedient to step into this and to see if he's who he says he is? My daughter the other night, it was just, just Thursday, she was crying over something. And I said, listen, I said, let's trust. Here's what God says about this situation. I said, here's what we're going to do. I was like, if you would be so bold with me, Abby, that we're going to give this thing six months to do what God says. If he does his thing, like if he shows us his glory, then you will know that he is God. And if he doesn't, then it gives you a reason to walk away from the faith. But God cannot lie. And he never goes against his word. And so it's this picture of, man, that we obey it. And that when you do, he builds a pillar of faith in you. So that you can stand somewhere and say, listen, man, Chris Moix is a piece of trash. Like, he is a piece of trash. He's crazy. He's ignorant. But it's all for God's grace that he gets to stand up here and pronounce his glory. It's because of God's grace that Chris's marriage is in good shape. It's because of God's grace that, God's, that his kids are doing okay. Right? Like, it's, it's this story, right? It's all for him because I'm crazy. And he says, I've done all this so that you might exist for the glory of my praise. It's like, don't become somebody who lives for the glory of yours. He goes, I've created you so that you would praise me for all the things that I'm doing in you. And so can I just lean on you and tell you to step into your pain? 
Like the thing that you're most afraid of doing, would you put God's word to it and then just try? Because he says that when you do, you'll see his glory and you will exist for his praise. And this is what he says to us. And so we track down just a little bit further and it says, verse 13, right? Starts off with, in you. Translation, by the way. By the way, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why? All for the praise of his glory. And so here's what he says. He's like, listen, yes, Redemptions of blood, redemption of your sins through Christ. Yes, I knew your name. Yes, I have a purpose for you before I ever found, formed the foundations of the world. Yes, there is hope. Yes, you will never die. Yes, you will hang out with me and you will not need a sunshine. Yes, you will reign with me. Like all of these things are yours. He goes, and by the way, I created all them for the praise of my glory and you were included in all of this the day that you heard the message and believed. Now let me translate a little something for you here, right? That word believe also is profess. Like professing his name out loud that Jesus, you are Lord. I come from a community full of people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Never professed it. Because the minute you profess it, things change for you. You can't believe that Jesus is Lord and not profess it. You talk about the things that you love. And it causes you to move and it's going, man, I've been given all of this. I can no longer trample what he's given me. This is what the Lord has done. And he says, here's the deal. He said, he says, when you believed, this is how you know. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is your deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The only way you know that you are his is if the Holy Spirit is alive and well in you. It is all you get. It is all you need. Right? It's the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. This is the picture, man, of your hope. Like no one robs you of this. And here's what I would say to you, man. It's like if you've never professed Jesus as Lord, can I just lean on you for a second? Like you don't get any of this. Like none of this is yours. And I would ask you, like what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your hope in? Because in verse 3, he says that all of it's going to wither away. Like it's all going in the trash. Nobody's traveling behind you in your, to your coffin with your U-Haul of stuff. Like it's all trash. He's like, what are you putting your hope in? Because man, I'm like, what is it? Like what is so important to you that you would take that over all of this? And that's what Jesus says to us in this moment. He's like, why is that sin so important to you? My wife asked me a question the other day. She goes, when did you start really loving Jesus? Man, I think it's a great question to ask people. Like, when did you start loving him? 
He says, the more that you know me, the more that you'll love me. And this is why Paul goes on to say, it's like, for this reason. It's like, I remember you in my prayers when I keep asking that the God of our Father, Jesus, that he would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that we may know him better. That's what he's saying. And I'm not even close to being done. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. One of the most powerful scriptures in all this book, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Man, guys, listen to that. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you if you are a believer, like if you professed. The same mighty power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you. What does that mean? It means when you can't forgive your spouse, you lie. Because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you. When you can't get along with your co-worker, you lie. <laughs> because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you. Man, when, when, when you can't fix relationships in your house, you lie. Because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive in you. Like this picture is like a picture of, of the most strongest hope that you could ever imagine. It's like no one's going to touch you until Jesus calls you home. Like he, he started this whole plan of redemption, right? Like do we know this. Like he finishes this story in Revelations for us. Like he comes back and he fixes everything that's broken. Like we know this. Until that time, he's called us to be his agents of restoration. Why? How? Because we have the spirit in us guaranteeing our inheritance with him, which nobody robs that hope. Plus, we have this power that rose Christ from the dead living in us. Like we have God himself living in us. Like he became man, put on, put on flesh, died for us, and now lives in us. And there is no one that can rob you of this. There is no TV that's big enough that's going to compare to this. I'm telling you, there is no hope greater than this. And I'm like, who lied to you? Who told you that there's something better? Like, that, that's what I keep preaching to myself all the time. Like, Chris, who's lying to you? Like, in Galatians, that's what it says. Like, who's lying? Who, who told you to pick that back up? Because it's just like, it's this picture, man, that we just, we forget, right? Like, we just forget who we are and what we do. Man, and when you become a, a generation of people that, that understand this, like, that's what Paul's crying out here for us. He's like, listen, it's like, Father, let them understand this. Let it live so deep in them that this is all that comes out. It's why Paul was able to sing in prison and lead people to Christ. It's why he was saying, man, praise be to God, the Father of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And it don't just end there, man. It gets even better. It says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Bringing you back to verse 10. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in this age, but in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's you and me. It says that Jesus is in charge of everything. 
He's like, will the church have dark days? Absolutely. Will you have dark days? Absolutely. Will anybody rob your hope that he's already won? Never. No one steals this from you. He says, the church will never end because I'm in charge of it. And everything's been placed under my feet. This is Acts 4.12, that there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved other than that of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel proclaimed to you the day you heard it. And you get all of this. All of this. Like this is the hope that we live in. Like this is Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And Ephesians 2 goes on and says, listen, we didn't do anything for this greatness. Like, what did we even do for the Lord to lavish this on us? And Ephesians 2 will go on and say, nothing. We did nothing for this. And this is why we love Him. Like, this is why we love Him. Because we did nothing for this. But it pleased Him. It was part of his will to give us all of this. Why? So that we would rise up and praise his name. And that, as best as I know, is a 30,000 foot view of Ephesians 1. And so here's how I thought we did. I went to a thing about three weeks ago. And after the guy got done talking, he kept telling me what to do. He kept saying, hey, you need to go do this. And you need to go find this person. You need to go find... And eventually I'm like, listen, the Lord is alive in me. Like, man, let me do what the Lord's asking me to do right now. Like, quit telling me what I need to do and let, let the Lord just minister to me. And so I was thinking this week, I'm like, man, what is the church responsible for? Like, like my role is to serve you, right? Like, that's my role. It's like to serve you. But not in a way where you think. Like, my role is to, is to serve you in a way that always produces hope for you that always produces affections towards Christ for you. And so here's what we thought we'd do, man. We know it's just a Sunday morning, right? And the minute you walk out of here, a thousand things are going to tackle you. Your phone will blow up. You have to figure out where your kids are going. Who's taking so-and-so to this? Like, I get it, man. I totally get that, right? But here's what I would say, man. We're going to offer you four things. And you can pick one, all, or none, all right? Number one. And just sit in your chair. Let, let the band worship over you, right? As the Lord just does his thing in you, like just sit with him. Like this may be the only time that you get to sit with the Lord all week. And so if this is all you're going to do, man, then let us help you in it, all right? So let the band just minister to you. Number two, part of this song is a profession of faith in Christ. Like it's a profession of who he is, what he's done and how you respond to him. Like there's a part where you actually got to say, Lord, I love you. And for those of you in the room, man, who are just overwhelming with the praise for his glorious grace, then stand up and say it with them. All right? Just make your declaration. If you've never done that, man, can I just lean on you and say, do it. Like, like find out what your hope is in. Because if you were to push on yourself, if it's other than this, man, it's a lie and you know it. The third thing, and they set up communion for you in the back. We take communion for multiple reasons, but one is always to profess the hope of what Christ has done in us and what he's going to do in Revelations. Like communion is a beautiful thing. It's also to bring you back on track, right? Just to, just to let you reset. And say, yeah, man, here's the deal. Like Christ died for me. Christ rose for me. And Christ will come back for me. 
It's all hope. And then some of you are like, man, I just need somebody to talk to. Back there in the back, we have a couple guys, man, that'll be glad to walk you through something. They're not going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you what the Lord says about that situation. And then you can decide whether or not you're going to do anything about it, right? And so those are the four things we're going to offer you. Apart from that, I don't know what else there is to offer. But man, my heart for you is that your affections would be turned towards Jesus in such a way that when you walk out of here and the world bombards you with everything, that your heart would still stay affected towards him. That you would sit in all the things that he's done for you. Like you would get a full picture of the heavenly blessings, man. Man. So, Father, I know my best day, I'm still a pretty bad example of you. So, Lord, I'll be first to profess your name as Lord. I'll be first to profess that I love you. I'll be first to profess that I am thankful for the things you've given. I'll be first to confess that I've taken my eye off you sometimes. And that I also, too, worship man the created things over than the creator. Like I exchange the truth for a lie. Like I get it. And Lord, I'm reminded, man, that in your sight that I am holy and blameless. And Lord, that is why we love you. The sacrificial love of Christ is what you gave us. May our response be a sacrificial life given back. And everyone in this house said,